Thank you very much, Professor Clark. That was really interesting. I think it's interesting to see the, how the practical application of evidence can really make a big difference on the ground. Uh, I think it was interesting to see just as, as a resource and relevant to veterinary evidence how, how it's evolved and, and the presentation of information is maybe something that, that we can learn from as veterinary evidence develops. Uh, but I, I suspect it's also relevant to veterinary medicine directly because when there are disasters, uh, it's not just people that are injured. Uh, it's often vast numbers of animals as well. And not only is that important from the point of view of animal welfare, uh, it's very relevant to human welfare as well because uh, people have very close links with their, their animals. That may be an emotional link um, or... Uh, in many areas, it may be a very close utilitarian economic link where their animals are, are very important to them. And there may also be a link in terms of diseases that may develop in the animal population and, and be transmissible then to people and further complicate issues after a disaster. So, so there is a veterinary dimension to this as well. And um, we do have a few minutes. Um, if anybody would like to ask any questions, are there any questions from the floor? We have one here. Hello, Ian Nicholson. Uh, thanks very much indeed for a really inspirational talk and a fascinating look at um, what your work is doing. I just got a question about systematic reviews in general. You did mention that part of your work was to update the systematic reviews, and you've said you published two or three hundred, I think. Do you have a planned schedule for updating those? Do you update them when somebody something comes up that would affect what has been written, or do you try and do it every number of years? Two approaches. So the first thing, evidence aid itself is not in a position to keep those reviews up to date. So we're liaising back with the authors to think about updating. And it's, it's one of the biggest challenges for systematic reviews is how to actually keep them up to date, up to date and what are the triggers for updating. And you've, you've identified two of the classic triggers. One is when, something, when we know of something new, should we update the review? The other is should we update them periodically? When Cochrane began it said, we'll update the reviews every year. And that quickly became nonsense because the actual editorial process and the writing process might take one, two, or three years. Then Cochrane said, every two years. And that's also proved to be nonsense. And what Cochrane is now doing for its reviews is saying, can we be a bit more strategic? Which reviews need updating every few years because the field is moving on? And can we identify triggers so there's methodological research going on looking for triggers and my view would be we want to update reviews when there are triggers but also when people are beginning to dismiss them and say well that review feels a bit old now I'm not sure I want to pay any attention to it and just to pick up on the point about uh, veterinary medicine at the moment there is no element in evidence aid in relation to veterinary medicine we would certainly welcome uh, people saying, how can we get involved in this? How can we suggest some of the evidence that might be helpful to our colleagues in relation uh, to this and start thinking about how to bring in uh, those additional reviews, which will then bring in the challenges of keeping them up to date as well. But as um, someone who began the talk a bit as a historian, reviews are not intended to be historical accounts of what the world was like when you did the review in 2011. They're supposed to be guides to the decision-maker in 2017. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, one in the middle. Thank you. 
I'm interested in the, in the distinction between um, there is no evidence to support and uh, the evidence does not support. Uh, just because uh, th th it's more than just sem semantics. Okay, the, the, uh, th the evidence does not support implies uh, there is evidence and it has been reviewed um, and uh, it is not supporting the findings. Uh, whereas the former was, was um, uh, there is no evidence to support implies there may not be any evidence at all. And um, how does one uh, make how, do, how does one make uh, uh, funding decisions, for example, or, or ev evidence-based uh, aid decisions, um, when there are some uh, uh, activities for which there is no evidence at all, and there are others for which there is evidence and support. It is supporting evidence. So I think I mean, is that so, so? The easy win is this stuff clearly works. Well, we know that we, we should be thinking about investing. It's a better bet than something that we have no evidence on. Because, you know, on balance, the no evidence stuff is likely to fall both ways. And again, the other easy win is the evidence clearly shows it's harmful or ineffective and useless. And I, I think there is that challenging one where there is no evidence. I first of all would reflect back to people, what do you mean by no evidence? What do you mean by evidence in that context? Because we, one valid criticism of some reviews is that there is no evidence of the type that you in your very narrow mind wanted to construct in your uh, review. There, are, there is evidence. So one of the areas I do work in in healthcare is big reviews of treatment for women with breast cancer. There's virtually no randomized evidence on whether or not you should do surgery or not for a woman who has a uh, breast cancer. It's natural history evidence. It's logic about cancer that tells us we should do surgery. So the first caution is, what do they mean by a lack of evidence? What's the definition of evidence? The other important point, I would say, when policymakers are looking at it, and why I think it's valuable to have that so-called empty review at times, is to be able to say, well, I don't know what those people are shouting about as an evidence base, We've looked really hard. We've been fairly flexible in our definition of evidence, and there's nothing there. And therefore, I think you need to be cautious about those people who are shouting very hard about, you should do this, it's evidence-based. If a well-done review with wide-ranging uh, eligibility has said, well, actually, we've looked, and I can, we cannot find anything. So I think there is a big challenge. The, per, the value of the review can be to say, definitively, there's nothing that meets my eligibility criteria. You've then got this challenge a little bit and say, well, actually, were your eligibility criteria sensible? And if they were, then that empty review should hopefully stifle some of the argument in favor of an intervention action or strategy where you can say to them, well, why are you telling me to do that? What, I, what is your actual evidence, given that we've looked for a variety and not found any? That's great. Thank you very much indeed, Professor Clark. Really interesting talk. Thank you. Thank you.